Hello, this is your host, Cheryl C. Jones, with a warning. This podcast contains true stories of individual genius that may inspire you to take action in your own life. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Getting Simply the Best Results podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I'm an author, a speaker, a podcast host, and what else? Oh, a coach to small and medium-sized businesses as well as individuals to help them create greater happiness and success in all areas of their lives. Today, our special guest is Mark Graben. So let me share a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit with you about him because he's quite accomplished and it fills up a full page. (laughs) Mark is a senior advisor, consultant, and an author of several award-winning books on the topic of Kaizen, a Japanese business philosophy of continuous improvement focused on working practices and personal efficiency. His book titles include Lean Hospitals, Improving Quality, Patient Safety, and Employee Engagement, Healthcare Kaizen, Engaging Frontline Staff in Sustainable Continuous Improvements, The Executive Guide to Healthcare Kaizen, and his most recent book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. He's also the founder of leadblog.org. When he's not writing, (laughs) he serves as a consultant to organizations through his company, Constancy Inc. And he's also a senior advisor to the technology company, Kinexus. Healthcare improvement has been his passion since 2005. Prior to that, he had lifetimes in General Motors, Dell, and Honeywell. Mark has a BS in industrial engineering from Northwestern University and an MS in mechanical engineering. Plus, he has an MBA from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Leadership for Global Operations Program. Would you please help me welcome Mark Graben? Hi, Cheryl. Thanks, thanks for having me here. And it's, uh, it's good to see you again. It's great to see you too. It's been way too long. I've always yeah. enjoyed our, our visits. So I'm yeah. glad that we have this time to, to focus on um, your, your expertise and, um, and just your genius, because I, I know that uh, you have a passion for this topic. And so I kind of like to, you know, um, start just do give us a little bit of your history. Granted, we've got your, your important stuff if you will, but kind of like who you are and and a little bit about what what you're about. Yeah, Um, well, sure. And I'll I'll admit to passion for things more so than genius. I guess that's that's, (laughs) that's in the eye of the beholder. But, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm fortunate to do work in realms that I really care deeply about. So, you know, when, when you said words like happiness and success, I mean, I think those are important in a workplace. Um, you know, efficiency, but, you know, uh, is important, but, you know, safety and quality are, are really important um, uh, passions. And, 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 you know, it's, it's more, than, you know, I think it's more than just a priority. I, I guess it's a passion. So like you mentioned, I thought I, w- I wanted a career path in manufacturing leadership. My degrees and early work experiences led up to that. It only felt like a lifetime, those two years at General Motors. Um, but then, you know, as I was working in different types of manufacturing companies and focused on continuous improvement and process improvement and improving the way organizations uh, are, are managed, um, I had this opportunity to dip a toe in the water into healthcare. 
2005. I didn't know if that was going to be a temporary detour. It ended up being more of um, a kind of a permanent pivot, if you will, <laughs> where I've had the opportunity to work with healthcare organizations um, in, in the U.S. and other countries and really, you know, focus where, where people have those shared passions around um, safety, quality, improving the workplace, which leads to a better patient experience. This all goes hand in hand. And um, you know, we, we focus on trying to manage better. And part of that managing better is engaging everybody in helping improve the organization. So those are things that I try to work on and explore through the things you mentioned and, and my own podcasting and different ways of trying to reach people. That's awesome. Well, and what was that little toe dip? What was it that took you into the, into the medical world industry? So, I mean, it was back, uh, you know, 2005. Um, my wife, we, we've had opportunities to move around for her career, um, including now quite recently. Um, so we, we had the opportunity. We were going to be moving from Phoenix to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Put me on the job market. And um, happened to get a call from a, a recruiter at Johnson & Johnson. So, I mean, it was lean in healthcare, um, you know, this lean methodology that has its roots in manufacturing. I'd, I'd been reading about, I'd taken some interest in what people were doing in healthcare, but I didn't really think I would end up working there. And I, I got a call from this recruiter. J&J had a consulting group at the time that worked with medical laboratories and hospitals and clinics. And... Uh, I had that opportunity. I thought, well, you know, at the least I'll learn some things and then maybe bring that back to what I thought was my career path. Um, after four years of Johnson & Johnson, I had other opportunities um, to sort of try to help explore healthcare improvement in, mm-hmm. uh, in other organizations and in, in different venues and in different ways. That's wonderful. So sometimes, you know, it's right place, right time. I, I do believe, I mean, I think what's the expression about uh, luck benefits the prepared. I think I had put myself in a position where I was ready to consider a change like that because if I had been in a different place um, professionally or personally, I might have brushed it off and said, well, no, that's, that's not for me. That's not what I do. Right. But I think thankfully I was open to that opportunity at the time. Well, and another friend of ours says, um, always say yes to something new, something that's going to stretch you a little bit mm-hmm. further, mm-hmm. you know, and, and when you do it, it's rewarding. It pays off in the long run. Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously yeah, it did here. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's not always easy, but it was, uh, it was certainly interesting. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel fortunate that I've had an opportunity to help contribute um, in healthcare and healthcare still has a lot of problems. Um, Problems related now to the pandemic, problems that were there uh, beforehand. But, you know, there are some organizations in healthcare that are really doing amazing things that put them head and shoulders above your typical healthcare organization. Kind of a thought that just came into my mind is, do you think that um, the challenges or the problems that were there in the healthcare industry uh, were acerbated by the pandemic and not being, you know, prepared, if you will? Have you... In your estimation, or it, yeah, yeah, um, I think you know, um, and and there, there's a whole complex list of causes and reasons, but yeah, I think in a lot of ways, healthcare, um, generally speaking, was not set up for success. I mean, there are some real concrete issues around lack of a PPE stockpile, and, oh, yeah. and some there's there's lots of uh, we could point fingers in, in many directions about why those stockpiles um, weren't there. But I think one of the other kind of defining factors is 
kind of, you know, traditional management structure of the boss being powerful and all knowing and having all the answers. Healthcare tends to be very hierarchical. Mm, okay. Some of the exceptions are in, in, in or healthcare organizations that have really tried to engage frontline staff and break down silos between departments and, and change that culture from the boss having all the answers to a culture where, sure, the leaders set direction mm-hmm. and inspire people and lead, but they don't have to have all the answers. Those organizations, and I've, I've, I've heard a lot of stories over the last couple of months, those organizations that had been doing a better job of engaging everybody in improvement were much more nimble and were able to turn and adapt more quickly in this rush to prepare for uh, a wave of COVID-19 patients that either did arrive or in some cases didn't Mm -hmm. arrive. But I think this idea of agility and flexibility is something that really in any industry leads to an organization being more successful. And, And the people who work there are happier as a result. So I'll, I'll use your frame from the introduction, happiness and success, I think go hand in hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, I've seen organizations that think they're successful because they're meeting numbers, but their employees are just like miserable, you know, and I, yeah. uh, I just crushes me when I see that because it's not worth it. It's totally not worth it. Well, it, it, to- it, it completely goes hand in hand. And a lot of the, you know, maybe short-sighted short-term decisions that businesses and leaders will sometimes say they are forced to make mm-hmm. end up really crushing morale in ways that are so damaging over the long term. So I'd see, you know, um, you know, healthcare news summaries from, from publications get sent to me every day and you'll see one headline that says such and such health system laying off and furloughing employees. And, but then I can point to a handful of cases where, large, similar health systems are making that commitment to their employees of saying, no, we're not going to lay people off. We will find a way to afford committing to our employees. And then that builds loyalty and all sorts of long-term benefits. So a lot of it really is a difference between short-term focus and Mm long-term philosophy. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. Well, let's turn our attention back to you because... (laughs) You're my primary interest. Okay. <laughs> if we have to. <laughs> I want to know a little bit more about, you know, your genius. I know you don't want to call it genius, but I think we all have a genius or a passion or a a thing that, you know, whatever it may be that just we really gravitate to, it really speaks to us and, mm-hmm. and we're good at it. And I know that this whole idea of lean, um, you know, is, 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 your thing is definitely your thing. But let me ask you, like I'm familiar with Kaizen, but what I want to know is I want you to give me kind of a brief description of lean and then tell me about how that fits for you. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the roots of what we might more broadly call lean um, going back um, almost 30 years ago, there was a phrase lean production or lean manufacturing that came from some MIT researchers and they were studying the automotive industry. And they were trying to come up with a way of describing why Toyota and a handful of other automakers really excelled, better quality, better productivity, really exceeding across all dimensions when a lot of times traditionally people think, would think there were trade-offs mm-hmm. between quality and productivity. And so what Toyota would call the Toyota production system 
Yeah, that, that was not an appealing name for other auto automakers. General <laughs> were, Motors Ford didn't really... going to adopt it, right? <laughs> no, I mean, and fair enough. And uh, when I worked at General Motors, they didn't want to admit that they were doing their best to copy, learn from and copy um, Toyota. So this phrase lean production, or what, what then sometimes would be called lean enterprise or lean management, um, recognizing it's not just about how do we build things, but it's really how do leaders uh, behave and, and, and how is the organization um, structured and, and what's the philosophy of how and why we do things. So, you know, that, that spread from manufacturing into other, other areas, um, other types of manufacturing, not just automotive manufacturing. And now, you know, this lean methodology is used in um, healthcare, software. There are government agencies, both um, local, state, and, and federal that are using this approach because it's really, it's not about how we build things. It's really about um, creating, I like, I, there's a phrase a friend of mine who used to work for Toyota in San Antonio would say, um, leadership's responsibility is to create a system in which people can be successful. Where I think in a lot of organizations, leaders maybe don't admit that they have that responsibility. The, the system mm -hmm. might be very chaotic and then the people working in the system get blamed for poor, poor results. I saw that at General Motors, it was unfair and it was demoralizing. Unfortunately, I've seen the same thing in healthcare. So I think you know, some of my passions beyond safety the idea that nobody should get hurt at work, no patient should be harmed in the course of, of receiving their care. Um, I also believe people shouldn't hate going to work if I really had to boil it down. So we could talk about you know, Japanese words or technical methods, but it's really more about um, leadership in an organizational culture um, that, that, that people want to be a part of, that, that people can be successful in. And you know, I think the other, the other thing my friend Daryl from Toyota would say, it, it's not just the, it's the leader's responsibility to create the system, but then it's everybody's responsibility to participate in trying to work toward perfecting that system. That, that's really what lean is about. And Kaizen, like you mentioned earlier, is this philosophy and, and style of engaging people in continuous improvement. Leaders can't delegate everything to frontline staff. Mm -hmm. Leaders don't abdicate their responsibility, but like I said earlier, leaders also don't have to have all the answers. That's not realistic. We've got to rely on the expertise and the, the creativity of the people who are doing the work as well. I agree. Yeah. And so does your engineering background and um, really lend it, it sounds like it does, really lends itself to this idea of continuous improvement, but then goes beyond that because I think that's more uh, uh, systematic and linear and what you're talking about is something bigger. What, what are your roles and, and what kind of role do you play when you work with clients and how do you work with them? Right. So, um, I mean, something I've tried to get better at during my career is being like, as an engineer, sometimes to a fault, you are taught to come up with the answer. Mm. And I've learned um, the hard way having the, the quote unquote right answer isn't enough. If you're not engaging people, in the process of figuring out the answer. So I've really tried to shift from the guy who has the answers to somebody who coaches others. And a lot of the methods that, um, that I've learned and I can pass along and teach to nurses or pharmacists or physicians or housekeeping staff or whoever, 
it's easier for them to learn those skills than it would be for me to become a pharmacist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have the utmost respect for the professional skill they have, but there are sometimes maybe some holes or some gaps in what they were taught or what they were not taught. Hmm. So I think a lot of times my role is to come in and, and maybe know what questions I, I should ask. Maybe I'm not, I'm not trying to lead people to a particular answer, but I think my process focus and, my engineering mind does give me certain skills in looking for holes in a process. Mm. Where are opportunities for things to go wrong? That, that's one thing we're taught as engineers to be pretty systematic and proactively analytical, if you will, and trying to not just react to things gone wrong, but really try to anticipate mm-hmm. where are the holes in this process? Where are errors likely to occur? Not because of bad people, but because of systems and processes that, that aren't yet perfect. So that's, that's part of the skill set that I try to bring into healthcare of, of not, not coming in, making recommendations and leaving, but really trying to work, um, I was going to say shoulder to shoulder. We would keep a little bit more distance maybe right now. Or at least but, really, Yeah, and, and with the mask. But um, to help people figure it out for themselves, because for one, those answers really are better. Secondly, they are certainly more sustainable. And then thirdly, people feel better about themselves in the process. And then they they take those skills and that enthusiasm that they get and they'll keep applying it. Like people will go home and start applying continuous improvement practices to things in their own home, not because a boss is making them, but because it's making their life easier or less frustrating in in some way. So that's what I'm really trying to help spark in people. I think you are in, the word that's coming to me is you're empowering others, but the, the truth is, is it, that's a word that's often overused. And at the same time, you really are, you're giving them a tool set that they didn't have before so right. they can take the, take it to the next themselves to the next level, as well as their organization. And yeah. organization, I don't believe an organization can grow unless we grow the people, you know. Hi, this is Kathy, the podcast producer for this show. You just heard Cheryl say that she doesn't believe an organization can grow unless you grow the people. When she's working with small to medium-sized businesses, that is one of her foundational principles, helping the individual team members to grow personally while the organization begins to reshape will have simply the best results. Visit her website, www.simplythebestresults.com and take her free team survey. Find out how your team scores it might surprise you back to the program kind of thing. So, well, and I'm reminded there's an old joke or, you know, people slam consultants and say, Oh, the, the, you're paying the consultant to borrow your watch and tell you what time it is <laughs> where maybe you know, as, as a consultant, I'm trying to teach people um, how, how to tell time. Well, people know how to tell time, but it would no, be something more along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, I think theoretically, you're right. I think in a way you're teaching them to read the clock and then figure out how that applies to where they are in their day. Or to, to, to spark those moments where somebody might say, let's think about clocks. And they might say, why, why, why is the clock over there in the corner? Why don't we move it over here? Exactly. Why not? Why didn't we do that before? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, people, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the organization wasn't encouraging people to fix small problems that bug them. Um, and, and once leaders, you know, that, and that's where leaders set the tone. Here's, here's the balance and the dynamic. Leaders need to encourage people or to, to give permission. Ideally, they shouldn't have to, but 
in a lot of organizations, people have been disempowered. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They've been conditioned to keep your mouth shut, don't complain, don't make waves, don't be a troublemaker. So when that's sadly the case, leaders do need to try to boost people back up and say, look, I believe in your creativity. I believe in your ability to identify and, and fix um, the many, many small problems right. in a workplace that add up to a huge difference. So um, there, there, there's an interesting psychology where sometimes I see, like when people start noticing problems that they have become blind to, they'll go through sort of a cycle of grief where they'll feel bad or they'll, they'll beat themselves up for like, well, why didn't we fix this years ago? And then I feel like I'm, I'm trying to be more of a counselor than an engineer of trying to remind them it's okay, but you're learning, you're getting better. You're going to build upon this. Like don't beat yourself up over the past. Right. Yeah. And well, and you could have made all those changes. It didn't, they didn't happen overnight. The problem didn't happen overnight anyway. You know, it's just like, it's like weight gain. <laughs> it doesn't happen overnight. <laughs> nor does it get fixed overnight. Well, okay, there may be a few ways to do that. But. But, but but sustainable fixes probably don't happen overnight. So, I mean, you use that analogy. I mean, the word lean has its positive or negative connotations, but you can think of like trying to become a lean organization or creating a culture of continuous improvement. It's more like adopting a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Like you've got to have motivation, you've got to have commitment, and then you've really got to stick to it. Lean methodologies or a lean management approach is not a quick fix. And we look at, at weight or health, there are many, many quick fixes promised. Some are completely ineffective. Some are effective, but not sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and those are, I think, parallels that we're trying to look for in an organization. Lean, um, it would be, be like, you know, they called it lean production, like healthy production or healthy organizations might be a better, a better right. word as you described it earlier about it being about not just about the process itself, but the people, the attitudes, the behavior, the philosophy, the values. I don't know if you use that word, but all of those things come in, seem to come into it. And so healthy makes, makes it sense, makes sense to me, healthy and sustainable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool. So, um, so my next question to you is how has, your passion for lean helped you achieve more personally or professionally? Well, I mean, you know, I think I've, I've been fortunate to be, you know, I think it's a combination of things. For one is passing along lessons that I've learned from others in the workplace and in school. Um, you know, I think I've, um, you know, I, I, I've been able to, in, in different ways, synthesize some of those different lessons in a way that is um, sometimes unique or compelling to people. So, you know, I'm trying to combine in, in certain ways, there's sort of the engineering and management basis to lean. There's also kind of a psychology element um, to, to, to all of that. So in recent years, um, I've, I've been studying and really trying to learn more and practice uh, a methodology called motivational interviewing. Um, I, I had an opportunity to learn. Yeah, I had an opportunity to learn. I'm curious. It's it's really, um, it's it's, it's an amazing methodology to think about personally or within organizations. But when you talk about stretching yourself, I went to a conference about startups and um, met a social worker who was doing some um, sort of like uh, social entrepreneurship activity. She was trying to start a nonprofit. So it was a startup. And we were talking and she said, I think you'd really appreciate this, this thing called motivational interviewing. So I went out and 
read about it and learned about it. And, and then here, here, but then this is where the dots sometimes get connected for you. About a year or two after learning and reading about this and thinking about how would this apply in the workplace, I met a retired uh, Toyota leader named Ron Oslin. And he was giving a, he was teaching a class at a conference. And what I learned from Ron was that Toyota teaches this methodology, motivational interviewing, to their supervisors and leaders. Oh, it had already been synthesized. And so when you start looking at some of the philosophy or the values of the Toyota production system, and you think like, well, why, why is it not effective when an engineer or a boss, a leader, tells an employee what to do? There, there's a natural psychological pushback that I think it's fair to recognize. And so Toyota has long used a phrase, uh, respect for people or respect for humanity. And I think a lot of that means respecting our human nature and sort of the innate psychology that makes us tick and playing into that instead of fighting against it. So I've tried to synthesize things like that in some of my own personal work. And then the other thing that I, I pull in and synthesize that um, some others in my field maybe don't are some statistical practices oh. called uh, statistical process control. That, that's my, my latest book, um, Measures of Success, um, that, that incorporates some of those methodologies. So a lot of what I'm teaching, I wouldn't claim to have invented anything, but maybe some of the, the synthesis is um, unique. And I, I mean, I think that's okay. I, I don't feel oh, the need to say, oh, I invented this. I, I think if, I, if there are things that are helpful and I, and I can pass those along to others, I, I feel good about doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and your ability to be able to communicate it in a way that others can hear it and understand it and, and use it is the key. It doesn't matter who pulled it all together, right? Sure. And it, because you've got your own unique way of doing it that makes it easy for others to get, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I've got to look up motivational interviewing. That's something that sounds like I'd be interested in for sure. The, the book I would recommend in particular is called Motivational Interviewing for Leadership. Or leadership. Got it's um, written by some clinicians and it really is focused on workplace issues. The book that I was recommended to me was a uh, super thick psychology textbook. And I'll tell you, that was the one and probably only psychology textbook I will ever read because the origins <laughs> in this approach are really more in applications of, say, addiction counseling. Oh, interesting. Oh. Um, but I think some of the same human psychology and where we get stuck in the process of changing. We have reasons to change, we have reasons not to change. Absolutely. That's often true in a workplace, it's often true personally and individually, and um, so that, that's why I, I really uh, recommend that book and that approach, Motivational Interviewing for Leadership. I will check it out, thank you. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like that's been a big influence on you. Is there another person or book or something that has been an influential player in your life and in this industry? Yeah, well, um, so I, you know, I'd already mentioned Toyota and, and former leaders who I worked for, you know, former Toyota people who I'd worked for and worked with in various capacities over 25 years now. They, 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 they provide continual education and inspiration and coaching and, and, and give credit um, to, to everybody from the Toyota realm. But going back even further, one of the influences on Toyota uh, was a man, uh, an American, W. Edwards Deming, mm -hmm. who passed away uh, in 1993 uh, at the age of 93 years old. He was often called a statistician, 
But if you look at his books and his work, he would always emphasize, is what planted the seed in my mind, that the most important thing for a leader is to understand psychology. So statistics and other aspects are useful, but you know, psychology is really important. So Deming you know, is, I think, considered one of the all-time you know, quality gurus, if you will, or I'll use the word genius, management genius. Um, I, I, I would more likely apply that word to somebody like him. So, you know, his, his books and his work, um, I, I think, have been really influential to me. So that's where things start coming together again between um, kind of, you know, the process, engineering, analytical side, the psychology side, the statistics mm-hmm. um, really come together. And even though Dr. Deming passed away 27 years ago, I still think in a lot of ways he was really ahead of his time. And so that led the problems where I think a lot of times I, I, my judgment um, call is that he was right, but he really flew in the face of a lot of traditional management practices. And that message wasn't always well received. To this day, he has kind of his rabid followers and it's kind of a counterculture, even though he was always pictured in a suit and tie, you know, he was from (laughs) sort of that era. In a way, it's sort of counterculture. <laughs> I know what um, you mean. Yes, absolutely. To traditional business culture, but um, I find it helpful and inspiring. And it's, it's been a big influence on me. Yeah, he was a, he was a huge influence. I remember, I remember learning about him. Yeah, early on. So I uh, just have a couple more questions for you. Um, you know, I, I feel like it's important that our listeners have an idea of how they can, what they can take away and practice and, and apply in their own lives so that they can, you know, reach some level of success personally or professionally. And I guess it's all personal. I mean, whether you're doing it professionally or not at all, it's all for the individual, but as well as the business. But um, so I'm curious to know what, if there's some practices or activities that you would recommend people kind of study or look into or perform or whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, after seeing, I think certain like patterns of behavior in different industries and different organizations over 20 plus years, um, my, my most recent book that I had mentioned is called measures of success. But then the subtitle of the book is really kind of the summary and the advice. And maybe I'm almost giving away too much in the, the subtitle. I mean, the details are, Right. Or in, or in the book. But the subtitle is react less, lead better, improve more. Mm. So the behavior that I've seen in organizations and indivi- you know, individually too. So if you're looking at some measure like um, revenue or customer satisfaction metric or um, and in the book, I use an example. And we'll come back to weight loss again. If you weigh yourself every day and, and, and draw it on a chart in Excel, this would be called the line chart. The, the behavior that often comes with having some sort of measure is that it's really tempting to react to every up and down. It is. And to get upset about that number on the scale or for a leader to say, oh, why is this number worse than the day before? I, I need you to go investigate and I want you to explain it and somebody figure out the root cause when there may literally be no root cause, right? So one of the lessons that goes back to Dr. Deming is to realize there is variation in every system. And I think stepping on the scale every day is one way to help understand that. And I, I shared some charts in the book where your, your weight may be stable over time. Mm-hmm. You may see from looking at a chart that you are fluctuating around what is hopefully a stable average, if that's where you want to be, right? Mm-hmm. 
and your weight may fluctuate. Everyone's a little bit different, plus or minus two and a half pounds or up, okay. up one I'm pound. But okay. Each person, we are a system, if you will. You're right. We are. Systems, and it could be a workplace system that generates results. The same system, we can think of it back in terms of the same people doing the same work, the same way, in the same environment, will not always generate the exact same results. So there is a natural variation, or you could call it an inherent variation, a routine variation. That's driven by the system. And when we chart the data and we start looking to see, um, it seems like it's fluctuating around an average. What happens when we react to every data point or when we just compare two data points is that this creates the swirl of activity that feels like it's helping, but it doesn't. Mm. Right? So instead of getting too happy or too upset, um, I think of this as a roller coaster effect in an organization. The part of the lead better is to step back and, and be less reactive and more systematic. Why are our customer service numbers on average not where we want them to be? The answer to that question is probably not found in looking at, well, why was last week's number a little bit better than the week before? Was the system different? Probably not. So we need to go and, and, and step back, and this is where the lean methodology gives us some problem-solving skills to be analytical in a systematic way. Say, so, well, how are we going to change the system? Now let's go test those changes and let's see if there is now if we can create an outlier on our chart that's different than the typical routine variation. Or there are some statistical rules of thumb. Like if I were looking at my weight on the scale every day, if I were to see eight consecutive days that were above my old stable average, that's a point to say, wait a minute, time out. <laughs> that's a statistically meaningful trend. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, so we, 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 we can learn with a little bit of math and a little bit of some rules of thumb and some visual charts to basically stop reacting to the noise and instead um, um, try to improve systematically. And if we see something in our metric that you might call a signal, a statistical signal, those are the things we should react to and investigate. Um, and, and so th th those are some of the lessons that I've tried to bring across in a, a user-friendly way. I would love, you know, I, I, I said earlier, there, I've only read one textbook about statistics. I've had um, some readers say that my book is the only book about statistics that they've read or will read or enjoy. And I, and I try to point them to others, but like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to um, bring some of these methods. If I framed it as a statistics book, I would only attract people who are interested in statistics. Mm -hmm. But the, the title of the book and, and that phrase at some point had jumped out at me. We're trying to be more successful. There are times when we're measuring mm -hmm. our progress or measuring our success. And so you know, I was trying to draw in um, you know, a, a, a broader business audience than a, a book about statistics might normally draw in. I think you're right. I think we um, do need to, to have measurements beyond just... Uh, revenue or, you know, customer interactions or covers in the hospitality industry, which would be customers, mm -hmm. um, you know, or number of days in the hospital or whatever hospitals might measure. Because um, there's, there's employee satisfaction, there's how long does it take a process? I mean, there's a lot of things that um, 
I remember working with one healthcare group who will remain nameless and I was interviewing, I was interviewing the, um, what was that department? They're the ones that process all of the people getting wheelchairs or, you know, referrals. I guess it was the referrals department, and but they were had to process. And literally, they, they're still working in paper. Their files were like, you know, piled on their desk and they were all these patient files. And I'm like, why do you have so many? And some of these were dated, you know, from three weeks ago. And I'm thinking there's a patient somewhere waiting for a walker, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just like, Oh, it's killing me. You know? And it's like, let's look at the system here. But they weren't, they weren't really interested the owners or the, the higher ups weren't really interested in looking at that system and how that would be impacting not only patient care, but also employee satisfaction yeah. and because yeah. these people, referral people or whatever department they were in were just frustrated, you know, yeah, they get through the, them. You know? That's a great example. And, you know, Dr. Deming would always say um, things like, well, you know, um, people's best efforts are often not enough. People's best efforts in a bad system won't drive, won't lead us to success. And I think a lot of times leaders, unfortunately, there's a disconnect and they have this, um, belief that the, the problems lie with the workers. Like I heard this at General Motors. It was always, the, the leaders would always blame somehow it was lack of effort, lack of caring, lack of urgency, lack of intensity. Like that wasn't the problem. People had been beaten down over decades in this kind of toxic, dysfunctional workplace. And they were worn out. <laughs> and and, and it, you know, it, was, it was sad seeing that in manufacturing nobody deserves that but in healthcare it's really been heartbreaking to see a similar dynamic mm-hmm. of people who are burned out and beaten down and broken yeah um, by the system that they're working in so um it's you know it's possible to make progress in turning those things around but i'll send you their name just kidding yeah, no. <laughs> So, um, what's on the what's on the horizon for you? What is next? What do you have coming up that you're excited about? Well, so I mean, it's a new world. Um, you know, m- most of my work in the past has involved travel. You know, to be a consultant or a speaker. Um, I'm, I'm supporting a couple of organizations remotely, which means a, a lot of time on Zoom Ooh, and yeah. doing what I can to help, even though I'm not there shoulder to shoulder with them. So, in a lot of ways, I'm still trying to you know, help define that with clients and, and how can I be helpful uh, from afar. Um, I've been working on some other projects. Um, I uh, am doing a, a webinar on June 1st um, with uh, a friend of mine from Toronto. So um, we're, we're using lessons from the methods from my book, Measures of Success, but looking at um, COVID-19 related data. So there's a lot of data in the news, but we fall into the same traps of saying, well, the number of cases is up X from the day before. What does that really tell us? Mm-hmm. But when we chart the data and we can start looking for the routine variation that's caused by the system that includes testing and all, all that, mm-hmm. um, we, we can find, you know, I think, more meaningful insight mm. when we use um, different methodologies to analyze data. So if people are interested in that webinar, um, they go to leanblog.org. There's sort of a promotional strip across the top of the page right now that points people to where they can register for that. Um, so that's one thing. And then there, there was a book project that was, um, uh, the, the, the paperback and the Kindle book were published maybe five years ago. It's a book called Practicing Lean. And so I had 15 other authors who I um, recruited 
to write a book that shared reflections about our own personal practice and mistakes that we made early in our career and, um, you know, kind of promoting this idea that, um, you know, we, 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 we need to look at our work as a practice and a craft. We shouldn't expect to be uh, perfect at what we do. And sometimes I try to remind myself not to look down on others who are new to something and reflect about, well, they're making mistakes that are similar to the mistakes I made. And I think it's, it's, um, maybe, you know, uh, healthy or helpful to reflect upon that. So we wrote that book, um, all the proceeds we've donated to an organization um, that has roots in San Antonio and Austin. It's called the Louise Batts Patient Safety Foundation. And I, um, so um, we, we've, we've contributed all the, the royalties to that. But one project that had been sort of on the back burner, we had a recording of an audio book. Um, it had been available in, in different ways, but really the only place it seems you sell audiobooks is through Audible. Mm -hmm. um, so I've got that now. Um, I think hopefully the audio is tweaked and good enough. It's waiting in the approval process uh, through Audible. So hopefully that'll reach a new audience and raise um, more funds for the BATS Foundation as, as a group that um, is really important to me. So it's kind of a combination of a new normal and, and working on some other side projects and things that working from home has given me some time to do. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, on the, the webinar on June 1st, are you going to record that and make that available after the fact? It will be recorded. Um, if Depending on when someone is listening to this podcast, um, they, they can always they can email me, mark at markraven.com. Perfect. And I uh, would be happy to send that link. Wonderful. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. Because if I can't make it, I want to I hear it and, and see it. So that's wonderful. Well, cool. I want to I thank you for spending time with us today because I've walked away with some, okay, I haven't walked literally, but I've come away with a number of different uh, key ideas or concepts that are kind of, that are really connecting with me. And one of them is that idea of like, starting to track stuff I've never start, thought about tracking before <laughs> that yeah. could be helpful in, in terms of information. Um, and then that idea of the, to recognize the natural variations and not to get too excited right away, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I do that. I want to jump to conclusions very quickly rather than recognizing that there's a, there's a natural flow to things and it comes back to some place in the middle. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't take statistics. So I'll have to call you for that, but um, you know, that, that there is a, there is a balanced place, I guess, kind of thing. Um, and I really like that idea of being less reactive and more systematic. And so was one of the things my team and I have been working on is, is systems for our podcast, because this is a whole new, oh my gosh, this, as you know, this is a whole new venture and, and world to, to go into. And it's not like you just go plug into Zoom and, or your recorder and record a podcast. It's a whole lot, yeah, there's a whole lot to it. So, you know, that idea of setting up those systems. And I think now that we've done it on our, on, just in that specific area, it's made our lives a lot easier. It's made my life a lot easier as the host because I'm not worried about everything else. They're worried about that. I'm worried about you and connecting with you and us having yeah. a great conversation. So the systems really um, lessen the stress for me. Yeah. It's yeah. my experience. I know what's next. I know who does the what's the process and who does the next steps and how things happen. And, and we're all in the same uh, information funnel, if you will, in terms of 
knowing what's happening when. And it's, that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we've all been in organizations where we've, and we'll say, well, well, where does it go next? Or, you know, we ask the, mm -hmm. the, the receptionist or somebody, how's the approval process? They're like, I don't know. And right. like, well, that's not very reassuring or, you know, helpful in any way. So yeah, like that totally makes sense to I, me. Also, I, like, I like the way you, you summarize that and, you know, the way you frame things of looking for simply the best results. Mm -hmm. I think systems help drive results. Better systems will drive the best results. How do we define best? How, how do we know if we're there yet or not? Um, right. Yeah. You got great insights. Great. And you got, got so much. I'm going to go have a little session with myself now and <laughs> answer those types of questions, do a little self-facilitation. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can, how I can get even better. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I'll hopefully try to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Thank you for your contribution, not only to me, but to everybody. So that's very helpful. So, and I, so to kind of close for the day, I um, just want to thank our listeners for listening. And of course, thank Mark for being here. Um, and I want to ask the listeners to please do us a big favor. We are a new podcast and we really need your five-star rating and your comments. Mm -hmm. And if you would share this podcast with others, because, you know, Everybody needs to know this information and how else are they going to learn it? And Mark just made it really simple to understand. So, and then of course, if you need Mark, please call him or email him or whatever, go to his website and look him up and connect with him there. Um, so if you'd like to connect with me, I would encourage you to look me up on LinkedIn or Facebook. It's Cheryl C. Jones. Yes, there are a lot of Cheryl Joneses. So if you look for the middle initial C, um, you'll find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And feel free to go to my website, simplythebestresults.com. And there you can go to my books and more tab and pick up the first, uh, few chapters. I think it's like five chapters of my book, Emotional Self Mastery. So thank you. And please don't hesitate to reach out to either of us. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to know what you thought of our podcast today. Thank you so much. And you all take care. And Mark, thanks again. And we'll hope to see you again soon. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. To connect with me, Cheryl C. Jones, you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook by my name. Don't forget that Cheryl is spelled with a C-H, and be sure to include my middle initial, the letter C. You're welcome to email me at Cheryl at simplythebestresults.com or visit my website of www.simplythebestresults.com for more information and inspiration. This has been a GSTBR production. Created and hosted by me, Cheryl C. Jones. Edited by Brandy Hockaday and produced by Kathy Holscher. New episodes are available each Thursday on Apple, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google, and many other podcast directories. Thanks for joining us this week, and we'll see you next week. Music